Welcome into another episode of the Bush League Podcast, brought to you by Cowboys Ride for Free. The Bush League Podcast is sponsored by Buffett's Candies. Go to buffettscandies.com for any caramel corn and chocolate that you want for the holiday season coming up here pretty soon. And also, Next Generation CrossFit in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you go in and tell them that you, they, that you heard about them from the Bush League Podcast, your first workout is free, along with the free muscle milk at the end of your workout. So good. So go ahead and check them out. My name is Joel Penfield, and I'm joined today on the road, uh, Mets pitching prospect, former Oklahoma State pitcher Trey Cobb. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. First on the road podcast. I'm pretty nervous, but, you know, had to get home to the fiance earlier tonight, so she wouldn't kill me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You got got to have your priorities straight there. I don't blame you. I don't want to take you too much from your nights. All right, well, we got a huge weekend in Stillwater. We're gonna got, we got a lot to cover tonight, but we're mostly going to hit Bedlam. Obviously, it's a huge weekend in Stillwater, and then the World Series ended last night. Kind of a sad night in baseball just because it's the last game of the season until March, but it was a really, really good series, and there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, but first, let's go into Bedlam, and we want to have a little bit of fun with this, and we decided Trey and I both made an all-Bedlam team, and with that, so we picked an offensive line year, and then quarterback, running back, three wide receivers, a defense, and then kicker and punt. All right, Trey, so give me your quarterback first. I'm kind of curious where you went with this. Okay, so, you know, I, I like this. I like to do this based off of my feelings. So I didn't really want to go and, like, look into stats, right, and, like, see who had the best, the best numbers. I wanted to go, like, when I think of Bedlam, what guys do I think about? And so that's how I went about this. So my quarterback, based on that, has to be Josh Fields. I mean, okay. He's the only guy in my generation that's beaten them twice. He had, in my opinion, the biggest Bedlam win in, no one. in my generation with the, the 2001-16-13 game that kept OU out of the national championship game. I mean, and, and you know, the dude also plays baseball. So, I mean, what, what a guy. And, you know, what a, what a great back-to-back years that was. Yeah, see, I picked Josh Fields as well, but I did it because I'm a stat nerd, so I picked it completely analytically, and I looked at the stats and tried to figure out, you know, who had the best games in Bedlam because obviously that kind of matters to a certain extent because obviously not many wins to pick from. But I went with Josh Fields in the two Bedlam wins in 01 and 02, 588 yards passing, he had four touchdowns, he had two, and then the two wins. I mean, it was it was something ridiculous that he had. I mean, or he had five touchdowns. I mean, but either way, it was just something ridiculous that he he did against OU, and something that we haven't seen since. Um, he, that was a big deal, especially in one That was only his second career start. I didn't I didn't find that out until a little later, but yeah. Yeah, he didn't even start that game. Also, Pogai started, and they had to bench him. Yeah. Because he wasn't moving the ball. Funny how that works. Funny how that worked out. <laughs> All right, uh, running back. I mean, I picked Barry Sanders. I mean, that's pretty obvious. He went for 39, 39 for carries for 215 yards and two touchdowns in 1988 uh, in Bedlam. Oklahoma State only lost that game by a field goal. They would have won if Brent Parker caught that touchdown pass in the end zone to end the game. I digress. Yeah. Barry Sanders is still the greatest running back of all time. and he, It's hard to go against him here, even though Thurman Thomas had an incredible career before him. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, like – so, so for me, Barry is like the all-time pick and everything, but he didn't beat OU. That's true. He didn't do it. So I want to like 
combo just just from the 2011 year. Okay. The Joseph Randall Jeremy Smith show from oh that my. game. That was just was incredible. Outrageous. I mean, Whedon threw for I think he threw for under 300 yards. Yeah, and I remember watching the game. The running game was absolutely dominant. It, it was yeah, unreal. Jer- Jeremy Smith, Joseph Randall just ran over OU all game, and I mean. I'm going to combine those two guys for my running back. I feel like, you know, both of those still don't equal one Barry. But just because I wanted to go, you know, my generation, from my heart, you know, I'll never forget those guys. Just everybody was so unsure and let down after the Iowa State game. And those guys just made sure that there was no letdown and that they were going to beat OU. Yeah, I remember that 2011 game. One of my best friends in high school, uh, I was a freshman at the time, and uh, he was a year older, and he is a giant OU fan. And he came over to watch the game, and he was super confident, and so was I. And, and then the game just started going. By the middle of the third quarter, after the Jamie Blatnick like, uh, scooping score, he was just laying on the ground in my basement in a fetal position, just like, what is happening? <laughs> and it, it was one of the greatest nights of my life watching that game. Um, okay, so who are your wide receivers? I went with three different guys. Uh, who did you pick? Well, I wish that I could pick Rashawn Woods three times. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just because he was, you know, he, he's still my favorite Oklahoma State player that I've ever got to see play. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, Rashawn Woods. And then I had Tracy Moore also for his 2011 appearance. That guy. Uh, he, he, he was kind of like Marcel Aitman. I feel like he was at OSU for like a thousand years. Yeah, he was. He was. At, he, I mean, he was at OSU for a thousand years, and he complimented like Josh Stewart and yeah, you know, and Blackman and and all those guys. And um, you know, he had like he had a little bit of a coming out party, and and in those big games, and he just you know he just seemed to show up in those key moments. And um, and then even though he wasn't really a receiver, but that was technically his position, I have to throw Tyree Kill in there just because he had, you know. You know, one of the biggest moments of Ever. my lifetime in Bedlam. Yeah. And I want him on the field, especially now with his talents. Come on back, play this Saturday, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I wish, I wish. All right, so my three guys, uh, I just changed one at the last second just because I thought about it. Um, I'm going with Justin Blackman. Uh, he had 18 catches, 200 yards, and a touchdown in two Bedlam games, including uh, 2011. Now, because we didn't throw the ball a whole lot in 2011, we were just able to run. He still went 10 for 95. I mean, he was one of the best possession receivers I've ever seen. I mean, just you could go go to him in any route, any down and distance, and he was going to go get it. And it was just unreal. I mean, Rashawn Woods, again, that kind of, that kind of goes without saying. But his Bedlam stats were just ridiculous. 24 Stupid. catches. Yeah, 24 catches, 355 yards, and four touchdowns, including the touchdown that mattered at the very end in 2001. And then I just thought about this guy at the very end, like right as you were talking about that 2014 game. I had Hartley Dykes just because he was a great OSU wide receiver, but Brandon Shepard in 2014, he was Mason Rudolph's go-to guy in that game. And he had two huge touchdowns in that game that kept OSU in the game. So I think that's the, that's who I'm going to go with there for my third wide receiver. Yeah, that that was unbelievable. It was you know, Brandon, like I tweeted this week that I wish that OSU would bring back the players announcing themselves for the for the starting lineups. Yeah, I can't believe they ever got rid of that. That was one of my favorite parts, and you know, it allowed the it allowed the fan base to get excited and say you know like when Mason would say his name, everybody would go nuts. And, right. And that was one of my favorite parts of the game, and it's not on there anymore. But me and my roommate, one of our favorite ones was Brandon Shepard. 
And because we would we would always say it every time because he said Brandon Shuffle, St. Louis, Missouri. Yep. And so <laughs> and so we you know we would always we always loved that and man yeah what a bedlam game that was for him. Yeah, that was a, that was a huge game for him, especially having you know being a guy for Mason Rudolph, you know to have that just hey throw me the ball I'll go get it. You know, and for a freshman quarterback making his second start in a host- in two in his second consecutive hostile environment, that's that's a, that was huge for Oklahoma State. Um, offensive line, I'll take twenty eleven just because they kept Brandon Whedon off his back, and they were able to just run the ball everywhere. So to me, that was that was the big deal there. Yeah, I think I think that's a no doubter. I think the two thousand eleven offensive line. It's not just like the best offensive line for Bedlam. I think that's the best offensive line in Oklahoma State's history. Yeah, I mean, Whedon got sacked like negative four times all year. Something like that. Like, yeah, he, he, like he just had all day to throw. Could you imagine Mason Rudolph without offensive line? No, I, I actually, I, I actually physically cannot imagine him with a, with that offensive line. That, that would just be absurd. Just absurd. And then defense, I took 2011 just because they they weren't the greatest defense, but, man, they could force turnovers. And they just caused havoc, absolute havoc all the time. It felt like, you know, they were just, you know, they give up 60 yards and then they get a big interception somehow or they force a fumble. It was just something every single time. And they did that a bunch of times in the Bedlam game. They forced, I think, three or four turnovers, forced a couple Landry Jones picks, a couple Landry Jones fumbles. And that was a huge game for the defense, especially coming off the Iowa State game where they really didn't weren't able to do that. Yeah, I think I, I think that was a big-time game for a defense. But uh, I'm going to go with the 2001 defense just because that offense from Oklahoma was so high-powered with Hibble and Quentin Griffin. Like, I mean, those guys did whatever they wanted to do all season. And then they run into this Oklahoma State team that plays just a completely, in, like, not a good defense all season. And then just a completely, an, an incredibly inspired performance. And, you know, they come out and just shock the world that day. And, oh, you couldn't do anything on offense. And, you know, I, I rewatched that game once about every year. And I can't remember his name right now. It's killing me. But I remember the first time I thought that we had a chance was that one of the defensive backs came out and was stretching, and he had Ohu written on his cleats. Ooh. And I was like, okay, you know, this guy believes in it a That's little bit. That's some swagger. Like, yeah, they got some swagger going. Like, something might happen here. Yeah. And uh, so that, that was exciting. But um, I think that 2001 team – I think that defense earned it for me that they were that they were probably the best one for the Bedlam matchup. Even though the 2011 defense had all the home run or not the home runs baseball, but uh, had all the turnovers and the points. I mean that OU offense was kind of struggling a little bit going into that game, and uh, you know I, I mean that 2001 defense just stepped up. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And then kicker and punter, I Dan Bailey for kicker. I mean, you can't go wrong there. I thought about Quinn Sharp, but, I mean, Dan Bailey was just automatic. Didn't matter where it was. It was going to go. And then punter, I took Matt Fodge because that guy was just a monster. Like, Oklahoma State has had a history of having good punters. I mean, it went Matt Fodge and then Quinn Sharp to uh, to Dan Bailey, or not Dan, but to uh, Kip Smith and then now Simon. Like, Oklahoma State's always had, like, a solid guy there that can pin a team back, and Matt Fodge was the best that I've ever seen at the position. 
and Quinn Sharp yeah. and Siner and Smith were pretty darn good too. Yeah, I, and with, for kicker, I went uh, Luke Phillips. Okay. Just because, basically, you know, I'm so stuck on the 2001 game. Just but I mean, it's hard not to be. My my most the most fun I've ever had watching football. But um, you know, he wins. You know, I mean, he wins that game for Oklahoma State. You know, everybody remembers the touchdown, but he hit, I think, three field goals. He hit that 52-yarder right before halftime. Yep, that, that was a huge momentum gave, builder. That kind of gave Oklahoma State hope and said, okay, well, you know, we're, we're kind of in this thing. Yeah. And then my punter, you have to go Kip Smith. I mean, we just had him on the show. Yeah. He... Explaining how he won Bedlam. Yep, that was a big I, – I was thinking from the punting standpoint, but I forgot, you know, for just half a second, he was the holder there. It's not too uh, often know, do you yeah. see that. But, yeah, that and, it's huge. Yeah, and without him holding that ball, who knows what happens. I mean, yeah. that ball could have slipped through his hand. I mean, man, he's the only punter I know that actually saved a Bedlam game. You know, there's a lot of – we've had a lot of good punters here, but – he, we know from from an interview fact, he saved the battle. This, this is true. This is true. Uh, I mean, part of the reason I picked Matt Fodge is because I actually like I've gotten to meet him in person, and I like I went to a punting and kicking camp in high school that was at Oklahoma State, and he was there, and he was showing us how to do like just one step kicks, like basically like out of the back of the end zone essentially, and he took one step from the fifty yard line and put it through the uprights. Oh I my mean, goodness! Yeah, it was absurd. Like, it was just stupid how good he was. <laughs> and, I mean, it was just, I mean, one step, and then I'm watching the ball, like, 50 feet in the air, and it just keeps going and going and going and going. I mean, he was incredible. And then, I mean, that, that was all I had for, I mean, the Bedlam teams. We didn't do any other real positions, but one guy that I would just love to have on that defense again, at least for this year, is Daytuan Lowe. <laughs> Please, yes. can we please have him back? People. I just thought about him. Yeah, put him and Calvin Bundage and just send them to just both to go hit Baker Mayfield. <laughs> oh, just just hey, a, 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 the trio of Jordan Stearns, Calvin Bundage, and Daytuan Lowe. Can we get that? <laughs> yeah, that, that would be unbelievable. There was, dang, I forgot his name too. There was a dude, uh, Mark Hill Martin. You oh my. people up. Yes, and the 2010, the uh, the batted down interception to Sean Lewis, yeah, like the SB play of the year. <laughs> yeah, that was that was outrageous. I, I mean, that I I remember I was watching the game and Markel Martin hit a dude and his helmet flew off like 15 yards. I yeah, I remember what you were talking I was like, about. What? <laughs> you shouldn't be. Able to, I mean, now you aren't, but I was like, you should be. Yeah. And now every time you do, it's a flag. But yeah, now I remember watching that 2010 game and Markel Martin, you know, batted that interception down to Sean Lewis, and I stood there for about 15 seconds in my living room because I can never sit down watching a game. I'm pacing around, and I just I stood there and like my brain froze, and I'm like, what did I just see? Like I was so confused. I didn't cheer. I didn't like. I didn't know what was happening until the play was over, and I went, okay, that was absolutely incredible. <laughs> That game was just oh, so hurt. disheartening. It was oh, such man. a good game, and both the teams. Yeah, it was. It was just. Oh. Well, that's not going to happen this year. No, I. I don't think so. But man, that was. That was kind of fun to just kind of go back and kind of reminisce a little bit. You know, some of the best players in Oklahoma State history, and especially in this rivalry. Let's shift gears now to the World Series. 
And this was an incredible series for me. Um, I absolutely loved it. I thought Game 7 was kind of anticlimactic because it really wasn't as tightly contested of a game as we wanted it to be. But the Astros still won Game 7. They won the World Series first in franchise history, so that's awesome for them. But did the Dodgers overplay their hand in this game? I think they did. I I think they did too much with the analytics, and I'm big into that, but I think they they went too much into that rather than just playing the game and letting the manalytics take over. I know a lot of people are behind analytics, and I think that I think that it works in the regular season. But I think in the postseason, like I watch, I watch Colin, Colin Cowherd sometimes, yeah. and he said that he likes manalytics, right? Yeah, that's where I kind of got that word and from, right there. Yeah, like that's what I like. Like I like analytics. Like use the analytics during the season, but who's your man? Like who's your who's your who's your horse? Like give that guy the ball, give that guy the abs. And what didn't make sense to me was the Dodgers making all these analytical pitching moves and doing all this stuff, and they just let Cody Bellinger strike out a World Series record. I know it's unreal. I I, I don't know why they like, didn't. According to analytics, he shouldn't be in the like. What's going on? Yeah, I know. I I thought that he should not have started with McCullers in the game. McCullers th- McCullers throws his curveball as much as he throws his fastball. So you know McCullers isn't throwing five straight fastballs and it's strike three and he's going back to the dugout. Like, I would have waited until Morton came in or somebody else that doesn't have a big breaker and let him have a chance for success. He just looked lost because there was nothing that you could do. You know, there was nothing you could do with the plate. But I think the biggest biggest blunder was two games in a row. Rich Hill was absolutely dealing in both of those games, and they took him out. And then they had to go to an already depleted bullpen, and thankfully they won game six. But to me, like... It was just they wouldn't let him go out of the fifth because he has a 4.08 ERA in the fifth. But you know what his ERA is after the fifth? What? Zero. His, his ERA in the sixth. He never after the fifth if his ERA is that high. Yeah, his, yeah, his ERA because they, they'd never let him go to the third time because the statistics say he shouldn't. But his ERA in the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth when he has been in the game at that point, 0.00. Well, I wonder how many chances he got at that, but you know, it, it, it that's a, and that's not just an analytics thing. I think that that's just like a known baseball. You don't do it. You know, when you have that crafty lefty that pitches, it's like that guy can last you one time through the order clean, and maybe two if you get three. Man, like good for you. But a lot of those like crafty older lefties, it's like, hey, get us through five. You know? Yeah. Get a get us four. Get us five. Get us just. Just do what you can. Yeah, but it's not even like it's expecting those guys to get those big league hitters out three times when those guys have seen, you know, all their stuff is is a, is a tall task for them. Yeah, but I mean his pitch count was down. So, has been, but when your bullpen's been struggling, like who are you going to that's better? Right. But I mean, I think part of it was like his pitch count was down, especially in Game Six. Pitch count was down. He wasn't getting hit very hard. He was getting a lot of weak contact. He gave up, I think, three or four hits, but they weren't, like, missiles. And then they take him out to Brandon Morrow, who has pitched in, pitched in every game of the series. I mean, credit to him, but, man, he got rocked in five, six, and seven. I mean, it was bad. I, I don't know, you know, especially when you see a guy in seven consecutive games, they're going to figure him out. I don't understand why they had him pitching every single game. I understand when you throw 98 
you have that, but when you see the same guys every time, I mean, you would think that they would figure them out, right? Yeah, I mean, and they do, and those hitters get more comfortable when they see a guy more than once, and also, those pitchers, I mean, as a bullpen guy, your stuff, that first day is, is your peak stuff. Right. And then your second day is, you know, it's not. It's You have to learn how to pitch differently. Your stuff, even if it's the same velocity, your stuff doesn't feel the same, and it's all about confidence, and if your arm is a little tight or a little sore here and there, you feel it, and you know that, and the hitter knows it because he can see it in your confidence levels. But, I mean, seriously, though, what what a series. And from a completely, you know, non-biased, just fan of the game, that's exactly what baseball needed. Oh, my God, baseball absolutely. Was, baseball was in the forefront for those seven games. Really a great postseason. Oh, overall, it was an incredible postseason. This was one of the best overall that I've ever seen. I mean, it was incredible. We saw all different types of, you know, pitching matchups and several different types of games. We saw the 1-0-2-0 games. We also saw 13-12. I mean, it, it was an awesome series, you know, awesome World Series. Easily the best I've ever seen, you know, 1-7, to game 1-7. to game seven. But it was also, you know, the entire postseason itself was fantastic. Honestly, the, the biggest disappointment for me, I thought the Diamondbacks were going to put up a fight against the Dodgers, and they got swept. I mean, that was pretty that was pretty swift, but other than that, I felt like it was a really good series and a really fun thing, and a fun one to watch. Um, but I think the, the one thing I want to hit on here, especially for the Dodgers, what do you think the series did for Kershaw's legacy? Because that's what people are talking about now a lot, because for the longest time, he was never able to get it done in the postseason. And then he goes... First inning, you know, first game of the World Series, throws seven shutout innings, 11 strikeouts, three hits, and he looked like, okay, this is the Clayton Kershaw we've been waiting on. And then he goes and lays an egg with a 4-0 lead in game five, and then comes in and then throws four shutout innings in relief when it really didn't matter because the offense wasn't doing anything. They went one for 13 runners in scoring position. So what? where do you think he lies right now? I, to me, he's still one of the, he's still the best pitcher in this generation. Like, it's not even close right now for me. But yeah, I mean, I, I think he is. I think I think that he is eventually going to go down as the greatest pitcher of all time. And I think that he, the, the stuff that he does with the baseball and how consistent he is is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And, and like, he's, he's a robot. He's a freak. But, you know, he has the, the first game, seven innings, 11 strikeouts, like, amazing outing. And everybody's like, oh, he's not showing out of Houston where he gets spotted two leads which usually on both those leads you're like oh the ball game but if you're gonna you know pitching is hard man especially against the best offense in, in the league oh yeah and in and, and their ballpark and you know everything there is tailored for them it seems like like that ballpark fits that Houston Astros team perfectly oh yeah you I know mean, it's, it's, Crawford it's, boxes. it's a porch it's a porch but also it's deep in the gap so it plays both their speed and it's just, it's a nightmare. And, you know, he had a game. And then, you know, you, you could say that, you know, when it really doesn't matter because of the offense, but every pitch in game seven is is in, intense. And coming from a guy that pitched a couple of those uh, type of games at Oklahoma State where, you know, I, I, I got to come in um, in regionals against Cal State Fullerton my freshman year, and it was like we were down 5-0 to zero or something like that to start the game in the first inning with, like, no outs. So we were like, okay, you know, we'll just throw Trey in there and then we'll, we'll save everybody else and we'll pitch the next game. And I end up throwing six innings and we end up coming back and winning. And 
and you know I was nervous every single pitch. It was like I know this is four down six, and I, I know I'm the we're gonna save pitching guy, but man, and we're we're on ESPN, you know, like this is regionals and there's people watching and stuff like that. It's the same thing. I mean, he, he knows. Okay, we have a little bit. We're we're in a little bit of a hole now, but at any time that offense could come back. And and I think about how much pressure he has because he knows he knows what everybody thinks. He knows everybody thinks I can't pitch in the World Series. Everybody thinks I can't pitch in the playoffs. So that's even more added pressure on him to perform in that game. So I mean, he had plenty of pressure to deal with. I just think that he was on two games, and one game he wasn't. And I think it's just that simple. I mean, guys are on and guys are off, and um, everything's just magnified in the postseason. Yeah, and I think for me, the the most annoying thing is as a fan of the game is how the you know so-called experts and everyone you know Dodgers fans, you know people that you know that are Kershaw haters and all this, they are the ones that are kind of they keep moving the standard for Kershaw every single time, and it's. Okay, well, he couldn't get the playoffs. Then he got to the playoffs and wasn't good. Okay, this he can't pitch in the playoffs. And then he was good in the playoffs. And went, well, he can't win a series. And then he won a series. It was okay. Now you got to go to the World Series. And he made it to the World Series. And then he had laid an egg and gave up. Okay, well, now you have to pitch in the World Series. And then he did well. Now it's going to be okay. Now you have to win a World Series. And if they win a World Series, they're okay. Now you have to repeat. There's just it's going to be this never-ending. Okay, can we just sit back and watch greatness? Exactly. It's the same exact thing with LeBron chasing Michael Jordan. It's ne- like nothing is ever going to be good enough for the, the Michael Jordan fans that say LeBron will never be better than him. Nothing is ever going to be good enough no matter what he does. Yeah. But and that- like, people are missing this, this incredibly amazing player because they're saying, okay, well, he's not MJ. It's like, okay, well, well he's LeBron. I mean, like, open your eyes, dude. This dude, this guy's a freak. You know, watch, watch him play, enjoy, and stop comparing him to other people. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's it's just hard, especially. You know, he's my favorite pitcher to watch. Whenever he's on the mound, I have to go and I have to watch every pitch he throws because he's just that incredible. He's you know just that type of guy. And you know, you win three Cy Youngs and an MVP, and you throw the most perfect no hitter of all time. Like what he what he can do with the baseball is just insane. Like you talked about. I mean, he's he's just so much better than everybody. And Scherzer's a heck of a pitcher, too. And so is Chris Sale. But, I mean, Clayton Kershaw, I mean, he's the guy. He really is. Yeah, I mean, he, like I said, he, the only way to describe him is he is literally a robot. Yes. Like, when the ball leaves his hand and he goes, ah, like he knows he missed it. When the, the minute the stitches leave his fingertips, he knows. <laughs> and that's just unreal. Yeah, he's special. And, okay, so, I mean, to me, the, the play of the night in Game 7, shout-out to Carlos Correa for proposing to his girlfriend after winning the World Series. I mean, well done. I mean, I'm not a fan of the the ballpark proposal because, to me, it's just like it's there's a lot of pressure, but I feel like that's got to be the exception to the rule, right? I mean, what a move. Oh, yeah. Everybody in the world saw that that was watching the game. You know, everybody else is trying to figure out how they're going to get a photographer to hide and take pictures whenever they get proposed to. That dude had Fox film it. I mean, like, that thing is on. That They're going to get a copy of that, and he's going to be able to watch. Like, she's going to be able to watch the moment. The way she accepted it was really annoying. Yeah. But, hey, you know, good for them. And it makes you wonder, like, 
would he have done that if they lost? Like, maybe he would have done that later in the night. Yeah. You you or know. What if, you know, what, or like, what if baseball is just this big conspiracy theory and it's like WWE? So you know that you know that dude had the ring in his back pocket in the ninth inning. He knew what he was going to do. Dang, could you imagine if he had that ring in his back pocket and he like dove and yeah. came out? I mean, like, it, what it, is that? Yeah. But, you know, you know he had to go out there in the ninth inning with that in his back pocket knowing, okay, I'm going to do this when we win, when we get three outs here. But, man, that, that was, like, that was one of the biggest surprises. Like, I I was sitting on my couch just like, yes! It was, it was just awesome. It was just, like, one of those yeah, really, that, like, so feel-good moments. Him because, like, you know, a lot of people were just like, oh, my gosh, we won the World Series. His first thought is, where's my girlfriend? I got to propose. Yeah. And I also saw, shout out to Jose Altuve, when they did his post-game interview, and they were asking him, you know, how he felt, you know, winning the World Series, and he said, this is the greatest moment of my baseball life. I went, nice save, you got a wife and kids, good good, good on yeah. you there. Yeah. So then, you know, crazy, and then apparently Justin Verlander's going off to Italy to marry Kate Upton, so he's doing pretty well for himself, too. So, the Astros are just living good, they're just living large right now. Yeah, I would say good for you, Houston, but Deshaun Watson today. So. Oh, God. I you hate know, that. Torn ACL and I just hate that. Injury. Yeah, I, my, one of my friends went from being the happy, you know, as a huge Houston everything fan, went from being, you know, this is the happiest night of my life, too. All right, I'm going to go jump off a bridge. <laughs> <For> the <laughs> highs and lows of a, being a sports fan. Yeah, there it is right there. All right, the biggest question of the World Series, were the baseballs juiced? Yes, definitely. Oh, no doubt. Every pitcher says it. I mean, and you know, like, I'm not for that at all. If you're going to juice the baseballs, let the players take HGH. (laughs) Like, if you want viewers and don't hurt one part of the game. Yeah. Like, I understand, like, you want all these home runs, but these pitchers are now developing legacies. Like, so everybody now thinks Hugh Darvish is this guy that can't perform. Well, when he's throwing a cue ball and he relies on movement, he's not going to get the pitch. And now he relies on a slider. They take that away from him with his juice baseball. Now he can't pitch. Everybody's like, oh, Hugh Darvish is a choker and all this stuff. And then now he's going to start to think it, you know? Well, I mean, eventually enough people say it, you start to believe it. And, And I feel bad for him. I mean, they took away his best pitch. Oh, yeah. What are, you, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, I saw that in the first inning. I mean, the first slider he threw to uh, to George Springer. I mean, that had no movement. It it stayed – it was supposed to go down and away, and it stayed middle-middle, and he ripped it down the line for a double. And you saw it. It had it didn't have the same spin. And I looked at my friends and said, that he doesn't have it. He, he can't grip the ball. And he's even admitted that he's having he was having trouble gripping the baseball and trying to find the grip. And find the you know the feel for the ball. I mean, there's got to be something to it. And no, there, it, there definitely is. I mean, and, and my thing is like, let them take like some HGH, like or not not HGH full on. You know, I mean, like take some test boosters. Like let those guys get huge, right? Take the stuff that's proven to be good for you, because like you know, in, in Major League Baseball, you can't take test boosters. Test boosters are proven to be good for you. A lot of them, it's testosterone. Your body already produces it. I mean, anything your body already produces, it's not going to harm you. Right. And so, those little boosters, but it's outlawed. So those players, like, 
get those players huge. Let the pitchers get huge. Let the hitters get huge. Like, bring that back. Don't, don't, don't juice the baseballs and forfeit the integrity of the game. I mean, I just think that I think that's worse than the steroid era. Oh, it's it's terrible. I mean, I don't care. I mean, I'm all for home runs. It's fun and it's awesome because it just makes the game exciting. But at the same time, I mean, Dallas Braden on the Starting Nine podcast, he said. Basically, what the, what Major League Baseball is doing is they're giving mechanics tools and not telling them how to use them. I mean, that's really what it is. They're they're telling these pitchers, okay, go out there and throw six shutout innings with a cue ball that you can't grip. It's it's stupid. Even when you see when you see Kershaw's slider not move, you know something's up. When you see Chris Sale's slider not move, yeah, you you know something's up at that point. When some of these great pitchers have zero movement on their breaking ball. Or, you know, even no late life on a fastball, you know that they're doing something to the baseballs. And I've heard that they're yeah. wound tighter, so they you know, it springs off, whatever. Just if you're if they're gonna do it, just tell us. Don't make us speculate. Honestly. <laughs> but I mean, as much as I love, you know, seeing the home runs, seeing Jose Altuve hit a four hundred and fifteen foot blast made me sit back. There were two home runs in this game where I went, Okay, the baseballs are definitely juice. It was Jose Altuve hitting a home run to the deepest part of the park. Now he's got some power. But not 415 foot to the to left center power. And then Yasiel Puig hitting a middle away breaking ball and pulling it one hand into the Crawford boxes. I mean, granted it was a wall scraper, but that should have been a routine flyout. <laughs> yeah. Or or call even Carlos Correa's home run. Inning home runs in uh, game two, and someone hit like I was like, oh, that's a nice live drive to like right center field. That's going to be a double. Oh, Springer. And it's like, yeah, I was like, oh my goodness, that's out. That that park is deep. That's a tough place to hit it out. Yeah, and then you see like a, and he just hit like a low line drive into the stands. Yeah, if they're just gonna if they're gonna tell us, hey, we're trying to juice the baseballs, so just let them cork the bats too. You might as well. I mean, one of one of my favorite players for the Royals, uh, his name is Whit Merrifield. He's like a utility second baseman, really good player. But he hit four home runs. He hit four home runs last year for the. Yeah, like I was saying, like Whit Merrifield's like he's one of my favorite uh, Royals players. He's you know. Uh, like utility second baseman, not a lot of power, a lot more like contact and speed. And he hit four home runs last year in his rookie year. He still had a really good season. He comes out this year and hits 19 with 88 RBIs. And I'm like, okay, something ain't right. Like there's no way this dude should be hitting that many home runs. Yeah. You know, it's just like the guy, there are more guys that are hitting 20 plus than ever before. I mean, shoot, even Gerard Dyson for the Royal or for the Mariners hit six. And he yeah, is pr- literally, Literally like the steroid era. I mean, eight and nine holes and orders are hitting twenty home runs. Yeah. Now, granted, John Carl in fifty nine. Like he, you knew he was going to do that at some point. Like that's just him. And I feel like the argument has shifted whenever you see you know a player hitting for a lot of home runs. You're like, oh, he's doing steroids. And I was like, okay, what are they doing with the ball this time? So I, I just I don't know. It's it's been pretty. I don't know. It's just weird. I just wish they would come out and just tell us what they're doing. Nope. You there? I think I lost it there for a second. Uh, yeah, I think every Oklahoma State fan knows the old drive from Stillwater to Oklahoma City. Is a, uh, that drive through Guthrie's nice and hilly. 
Yeah, we've had, we've had a little bit of technical difficulties, but we hope that y'all can still hear us fine and that everything's all right. Um, so now let's let's shift our focus back to Bedlam. And let's have a little bit of fun here. I know we kind of talked about this, you know, when we were trying to figure out what we were going to do for the show this week. Obviously, we're both Oklahoma State fans, have been our whole lives, so we have, you know, our list of Sooners that we always loved to hate when we were, you know, growing up and watching games. So let's go through our top five most hated Sooner football players. All right, we'll, we'll go and we'll go five to one. So who do you have number five? Okay, number five. I just forgot his name. It's I'm on the road. I can't research it. But um, number five was the tight end from the 2001-2002 season that said, you know, like. His senior year was 2002 in Stillwater, and he said, I'm not losing to Oklahoma State two years in a row in my career. Like, they're a joke and, like, all this stuff. And, like, talk bad about Oklahoma State. And I'm, then I'm looking it up right then, now. Yeah, and then Oklahoma State ended up beating them. And I was just like, yeah. like, But for that one game, I remember hating that guy so much. But I can't even remember his name, so that's why he's number five on do you, my list. Do you remember? remember do you remember what number he was? No. Okay, because I saw the first item I saw was Lance Donnelly, and then Man, Trent I Smith. Can't even remember it now. And Trent Smith was the other tight end on the list. Either way, we get we get the point there. Number five for me Either was. Way we hate that guy. Yeah. <laughs> number five for me is Ryan Broyles. Because that dude just found a way to get open no matter where he was on the field. It was just ridiculous. And the thing is, most of the guys I hated, I hated because they were good. That just seemed to be a common theme. I don't know about you, but that was how it was for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, that makes sense. But I respected some guys, but that, you know, number four on my list is Ryan Broyles. And, you know, it's mostly because the whole... Um, you know, was gonna go to Oklahoma State and then switched to OU and then was gonna go back to Oklahoma State, but then what's gonna go to OU and then he never knew and then he ended up going to OU. It's like, okay, great, hate this guy already. Yeah. And then, and then we, you know, we had Blackman and there was a whole Portals is better than Blackman and had to deal with that all the time. It's like, no, he's just really not. Yeah. And then, of course, in that 2010 game, Broyles falls out. And yeah, you're just like oh. It felt like every third every third down, it was like, and they're gonna go to Broyles, and he caught it. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, but he's number four for me. Okay, number number four for me was Demarco Murray. Again, he just torched Oklahoma State every single year, and it was like no matter what Oklahoma State did on defense, they just couldn't stop him, and it was so frustrating to watch. Yeah, he was he was a good back man. Oh, he was so good. Oh. And that's the thing I hate. I hate him because like, man, he was so good. But oh, I hated when we when he played for OU. Yeah, I mean, my number three is Blake Bell. Oh, oh the Bell just, just daggers. Oh, daggers two years in a row. Oh God, that I, guy. I still remember. I I like. I have it freeze framed in my mind. That fourth down, Blake Bell has the has the ball and he's running, and Caleb Levy has him. Like, right there. Like, Caleb Levy makes that tackle, ball game. Cowboys win in Norman. And Blake Bell just trucks stick. 
Oh. And carries him into the end zone. And OU wins. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Like, I went from, oh my gosh, we just won, to just nothing. Oh, it hurts. Lost. It hurts and thinking the about year it. After that, Blake Bell leads this improbable touchdown drive after OU seemed like they hadn't even got a first down all game. Yeah. And then Blake Bell just marches them right down the field. Yeah, it, that thinking of that, I didn't even I forgot about him, but my God, I, that guy. The bell dozer. The bell dozer. Number three for me was Sam Bradford. I just he just in general just had a very punchable face, and I just never <laughs> liked him as a person. Like he was never a bad guy, but I'm just like, man, I just he plays for OU. I hate him. And he was and, it, and it, what did it for me was in 2010 when he goes like. Does like some 360 like backflip thing and then just lands and then they score I'm like whatever whatever. Yeah, and then the OU built that up as like he flipped over them into the end zone. I was like, no, the no, he didn't. defenders flipped him. Yeah. And he landed in the end zone. Oh yeah, but I mean he was so good and you know he was he was the best quarterback in college. I think that the best pocket passing quarterback. In college, that I think I've ever seen. Yep, and then now, now that he's in the NFL, he's made of glass. Yep, he was in college too. He never got hit, and then the year he got hit, he was hurt. Yep, and he still won the Heisman when he had a broken arm. Yep. Who's your number two? Number two is old Baker Mayfield. I mean, how could you not hate this guy that has torched us two years in a row? Also, is literally a WWE villain yes. like quarterback for Oklahoma. Everything he does seems like it's like calculated to bother people. And it's like WWE. It's like they went in and told him like, hey, you're going to transfer to this place and you're going to be someone that nobody likes and you're going to just have to deal with it. And then, you know, he plants the flag at Ohio State. I don't even want to know what he is going to do. God, I don't even want to think about it. I just want him to keep his happy butt shut up. (laughs) It's going to be something. And then, you know, I'm I'm, going to try to get there as early as I can to get those good seats down in the student section around, like, the 25-yard line. Yeah. And right where their, like, offensive huddle is and those offensive linemen, oh, man, you know he's just going to be down there chatting it up the whole time. And there's just not a more, you know, unlikable – figure of an enemy than Baker Mayfield. Yeah, num- number two for me is Joe Mixon, and I don't even need to go into why. Everyone knows why. And I just I just never, I mean, I didn't even like him before then. I always thought he was super cocky and then I found out what he did. And I just, like, I don't respect any guy that hits a woman. So, I don't care what the circumstance is. So, that was that, to me, that just did it. Like, I just never really liked him. Now, granted, he's He's kind of he's come out and he's apologized and made amends and all that stuff, but that doesn't that does, for me that doesn't negate anything about it. He shouldn't have been at Oklahoma in the first place. Yeah, Joe Joe Mixon's my number one. I mean, I've never I, I dislike Baker and you know I quote hate him um, in this list, but you know I, res- I I can respect him because he's such a competitor. And, yeah, you know, he had his run-in with the law off the field, but it was a, you know, public in-talks. And if we, you know, 
talks down on every dude with a public intox and went to a university. I mean, yeah, that's that's everyone almost. And then, you know, so my 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 number one's Joe Mixon. I mean, nobody made me hate Oklahoma football like that guy. Oh my God, yeah. And especially because he was tandem with one of the most likable Oklahoma football players. I know, like Samaj P. Ryan. Yeah, he's the only OU player I've ever known in my life that I haven't hated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he scored touchdowns. He handed the ball to the ref, and he ran back. He ran back to the sideline. And then he would go in the and then he would go in the locker room at halftime, and he'd rep three thirty five a few times, then go back out and pound people some more. Yeah, and he was quiet. He just did his thing. And he was the anti. He's the anti OU guy. Exactly, and I love people that don't have to let you know what they just did. Right. Like, and he was that guy, and Joe Mixon's so not that guy. He'd get a 10-yard run, he's the first down pointer, he's the chest bumper, and then he would do, like, the LeBron celebration when he would score touchdowns, and then, and also the fact that he absolutely torched Oklahoma State, Ugh. and yeah. the Bedlam game in Stillwater just made it that much worse. Yeah. Number one for me is Baker Mayfield. I mean, I didn't really like him the first two years, but th- what his antics this year have just, like, it's just made me not like him more. I mean, he's he is the ultimate villain, and he absolutely loves it. And I hate people that have that mentality. Like, be confident. That's fine. You're a good player. And I'm not knocking him for not being a good player because he is. He's a really good college quarterback. But, man, just just be on the field, play, and go on. Like, you would think having a guy like Samaj P. Ryan with him, you go, hey, maybe you should sh- just shut up and play. But yeah, I mean, yeah, trying to plant. Would think, but no, it's, it, no, it didn't happen. No, planting the flag at uh, at I, Ohio State. I mean, to me, that's just like one of the cockiest things I've ever seen in my life. And I hate. There's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. And he sees the confidence line, takes a hop, skip, and a sprint to arrogance. And I hate it. And I just like. There's just nothing about him that is likable. Yeah, I, I really hope his Heisman campaign ends on Saturday, but I just, I don't know. I mean, yeah, let's, let, I mean, let's get into the game a little bit. We've yeah. talked, you know, the all-hate team from OU, but what, what do you think? I, I, I personally, I was, I've, you know, my, my fiancé goes to Oklahoma, so I watch, you know, the games, and I went to, I went to the Iowa State game, and I went to the Texas Tech game. I texted some of my buddies during the first quarter of the Texas Tech game, and I was just like, guys, we should torch them. Like, this game should not, not be close. Right. I mean, OU's going to be able to move the ball, but our red zone defense is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And they struggle in the red zone. Just like we and have. I think, and I think that Glenn Spencer is going to figure out a way to shadow Andrews with one of our talented linebackers and just say, look, if you're going to do anything today, you're going to have to beat this guy. Yeah. And I think that they're going to – I think that if they can shut down Andrews, I think that Oklahoma State wins handily if we were just talking about any team. But we're not. We're talking about Oklahoma. Yeah. And, you know, is there a a, a mental block there? And, and teams have those, you know, like – if you play a team enough and the same guys are there, and I think that's what's going to help Gundy is that Stoops is gone. Gundy doesn't have to look over there and see Stoops anymore. Yeah, that, that was my biggest thing. A guy that says this is his first head coaching of head coaching 
experience bedlam. I have the upper hand. Like that guy's that guy's never done this before. And I think that's gonna help and I think we're gonna see a more aggressive Gundy. But I think if we see a conservative Gundy and a conservative Yurcich, I think OU wins again. And I just but on paper Oklahoma State and on film Oklahoma State should beat them handily. I completely agree with you on all fronts. But I just have had a hard time picking Oklahoma State in this game. Because, I mean, it's just so hard when it's like the definition of insanity. I mean, every single year, you know, we see Oklahoma State, you know, I'd say three out of the last five years, I think Oklahoma State State has had the better team. And they have gone out and gotten torched. I mean, 15, Rudolph wasn't healthy. That, you know, that was bad. But I think Oklahoma State was a better team last year. They won the first half and now completely laid an egg in the second half because they went conservative. And I just, I can't get past that because we've seen it the last two weeks with Mike Gundy and Mike Yersich being really conservative with the play calling. And I just feel like they're going to do it again. And I, I, I do not see Oklahoma State being aggressive in this game. And I hate feeling pessimistic like that. But I, I haven't seen it the last two years in Bedlam, and I just, I don't know. I have no reason to believe why I would see it now. And, and you know, and I want to I want to agree with you, and my, my brain tells me to agree with you, but my heart just says that we've gone conservative these last two weeks because we thought we could win conservatively, and we're just saving just this, these, you know, we haven't seen Mason throw those intermediary routes all year. Yeah. It's been tank or screen or, like, tank or check down. And I'm so ready for these 10-yard slants, you know, 10-yard outs, just curls and button hooks left and right, and everybody just running 12 yards and getting open. And, like, I, that's gonna, I'm just ready to see that this weekend. I, want to, I want to see it. I really do, but I don't know if we will. And here's my thing. I think Oklahoma State wins if Mason Rudolph is truly healthy. Yeah. And against Texas, he he was not. He, I don't know what's wrong with him, but Mason Rudolph is one of the most talented quarterbacks in Oklahoma State history, and he threw the ball like J.W. Walsh against Texas. Yeah. I think it was a shoulder injury is what they were saying. But it was never serious enough that he, you know, didn't play. I don't think he practiced at all against West Virginia. Um, now, granted, the weather wasn't great against West Virginia. It was a slick ball, so he wasn't throwing the ball downfield a whole lot. Um, but he still looked good on most throws. If, if he is 100% or at least, I mean, even 85%, he's able to put the ball downfield, then I think Oklahoma State can put up points. I, I saw a stat right before we came on today, and it said that OU's defense, their completion percentage – on throws 20 yards downfield is 43%. And that's like one of the worst in Power 5. So if Oklahoma State... They're bad. Yeah, and if Oklahoma State does not go downfield in this game, we will lose by four touchdowns. You cannot go conservative against Baker Mayfield. You will lose. You will absolutely lose. I think Oklahoma State's defense is good enough to keep them in the game, but not for long. You You have to go points for points with them. You cannot... You can't do the Texas thing and okay, we can punt because our defense can stop them. Because I think Oklahoma State's defense is good, but they're not going to hold OU under 30. Yeah, and, and I, I hope that they do. I hope that our defense has really figured it out. 
I think this defense has the most talented athletes I've ever seen. Oh, I completely agree. This is the best Oklahoma State State defense I've ever seen. I've never seen a defense like this. And how awesome would that be if they just come and just shove it right down OU's throat and then allows the offense to get more comfortable than instead of, you know, them having to make these like crucial play calls, which we know is going to be a draw or an inside run. And yeah. make them go, okay, you know, we can take a shot on this down because our defense is playing so well. Yeah. You know, we don't have to worry about keeping the ball away from Baker because we can keep Baker from the end zone. game really lies on is Rudolph's shoulder, our offensive line, and our defense. Yep. I think I think the offensive line can play well. I don't think – I think – the I mean, the main guy on OU's defense is – Oboronquo, and he's a stud, but their defensive line isn't as good as it was last year. Like, they're not really able to get off it after the quarterback. I think we'll see a lot of short throws early just to kind of test and see where the offensive line is at. But I, Oklahoma State needs to throw the ball downfield. They absolutely have to. Um, to me, we will know how this game will go with the first offensive possession. To me, that will tell me where we're going to go. If we see run, run, it's third and long, we run a screen pass, punt, we're going to lose, but I think if Oklahoma State comes out, oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, why? I mean, why would we see anything different later in the game? Because Mike Gundy and Mike Gersich have proven that they can't adjust at halftime. That that to me, that would just prove that that's exactly what we're going to do all game. It's just we're going to nickel and dime you, and then we're going to punt, and then we're going to try and rely on our defense because that's what the, I just. If they do that, Oklahoma State will lose. But if they come out guns blazing, no pun intended here. And just take it to them right down the field. Just break the defense's will early on a bad defense. I see no reason why Oklahoma State can't win handily. Uh, and it's like I wish, you know, everybody says, you know, treat every every opponent like you know it's the Patriots or treat every opponent like it's the Yankees or like stuff like that. Yeah. Like, like you want to treat everything, but except this one. I wish I could just talk to the guys and be like, look. Don't look at the name on their jersey or their helmet. Yep. That this this team, and I love that they're ranked top five because this is not an Oklahoma Sooners football team. No, it's not. From what we see from the past, is teams that absolutely demolish you in the trenches. That's why OU is so much better than everybody else because all these years in the Big Twelve, no offensive or defensive line could keep up with what they were doing. Yeah. They don't have that. They don't have that those dominant units this year. Yeah. And I love the... And it hurts them. And it puts more pressure on their defensive backs. And their defensive backs are young. And, but if they, you know, we let that name on the front of their jersey get to us, we're going to lose. Yep. And I just really hope that I, that we see, you know, these, these matchups in the past of, of talent that's, you know, right down the middle have not been good for Oklahoma State. Yeah. Every year that it's like this, this big game for both teams, it's a blowout for Oklahoma. But anytime time shoots the underdogger, and 2011 was just, we were so much better than they were. Oh, my God. That team, yeah. I mean, and I think Oklahoma we State's a better so team better. here. We were they, not going to lose that game. I thought Oklahoma State was a better team last year, too. And, and we, were, we were good last year, but uh, and we, we were a better team than they were, I think. I'm not too sure, but Oklahoma was was good. In yeah. 2011, I did not think Oklahoma was very good. 
Yeah. I mean, and to me, at least on the defensive side, we need to put Baker on his back, like, early in the game. And I'm not saying that, you know, I don't want him to get hurt. I don't want any of that. I mean, now I, I never try to wish injury upon people, but if Calvin Bundage can lay a lick on him early in this game, I wonder what that'll do to Baker's confidence. Because if when he goes on his back, he's rat- he gets rattled. But when he can... Yeah, he does. And, well, and that's what Trey Fuller said today in the press conference. He said, the way you beat Baker Mayfield is you put him on his back as many times as possible. Yep. And because Iowa State did that. They got to him quite a bit. And you saw that because he was making quicker decisions and he was forcing balls where they weren't supposed to go. But if he can run around like Johnny Manziel and play schoolyard ball, he's going to torch us. So you have to have somebody like a Kenneth Edison Magruder or Calvin Bundage spying at all times. And the minute he goes out of the pocket, you go get it. And that's ex- and if Oklahoma State can do that, then I feel pretty good. Now, their running backs are solid, but I think our run defense is good enough to be able to hold them in check. OU's offensive line is really good, but here's the, it's the weird thing about that narrative that OU's offensive line is incredible, but Baker Mayfield feels the need to run out of the pocket on every single throw. So which is it? did against them they rushed three they said okay we're gonna rush three we're gonna drop eight into coverage and you're gonna be impatient you're gonna see your first looks not open your second looks not open you're gonna take off right and then they just spied joel landing on him and every time he took off boom he's right there and you know that that's the formula but if uh, we we i mean we very rarely rush three yeah, it's usually four. But, but if you can rush three, drop eight, Baker hates it because, I mean, those guys, like, they, they're not, if his first or second option isn't open, he he's runs. A run. he run, he's running. And, and you know, he's got a little bit of a tummy on him this year that he didn't quite have the last couple of years. Well, cause, I mean, well, he shows it off because he wears a midriff like Ezekiel Elliott, but he doesn't have a 12-pack like Elliott does. Yeah, and he's not as quick as he, as he was. And, you know, I don't know if he realizes that, but hopefully our linebackers allow him to realize that pretty soon. Yeah, I think I think the, the thing that makes Oklahoma State's pass rush so unique is how fast they are on the edge with Walter Scheid and Jordan Brailford and Jarrell Owens yes. and those guys. Like, they are fast down on the edge, and they can get around tackles really easily, especially you, if you walk up bondage. A right tackle that's going back in pass protection isn't going to be able to get it. If Bunnage times the snap, he's in the backfield like that. And he's going to put Baker on his back. I, I really do think that we're going to see Bunnage or Trey Flyer. Someone's going to light him up. I want to see yeah. that. I don't want to see him running around free, not getting hit. You know, I want I want to see him on the turf. And it, Yeah, and I, I mean, I think it'll happen. And I, I really, I, I just can't get past it. I know my picks have been terrible. That's why we're not doing any more Vegas picks. Yep, the the spread spread picks are done. Uh, we decided that off camera because we looked at our record after the first and only against the Seth section of the show. We went way below 500, so we're done with that. Um, yeah, I mean, we just don't research the games enough. We're just picking with our gut, and thankfully, and our gut is wrong. Yeah, it was not good, but... This game is research. This game is calculated. This game is we've watched every game from both teams. We know what the teams bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. All I'm right. Oklahoma State. Yep. Yeah, so, I'm, give me your give me your score prediction here. 
I'm taking Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State wins. I'm going to go 34-24. I think it's a defensive, grind it out. You know, we have a couple good drives type game, and I think that our defense really shows out, and I think we hold them under 30. Yeah, I I really, like I said at the beginning, I really struggled with this. This was really hard for me to pick Oklahoma State because I've just seen, I've been had my hopes up so many years, and they've always been let down. But I just went with my gut, and I'm picking Oklahoma State 45-41. I think it's going to be a shootout. I think our defense is going to be good, but Baker Mayfield's just on another level, and I think he's going to make plays. But I think the, the defense makes just that one momentum-shifting stop, whether it be like, a, you know, they block a field goal or they, you know, get a key third down and force you to punt or they get an interception or something. It's going to be something that the defense does that is going to shift the momentum toward Oklahoma State and they'll be able to get that one, that, that one possession back and get a touchdown and win the game. I don't know when it'll be. Could be, you know, first drive of the game or it could be, you know, last drive in the fourth quarter. I don't know what. But I think it's just going to be, there's going to be one possession where the defense is going to step up big time and they're going to win the game for us. Yeah, I mean, I think that, see, and I hope that we can hold them under 30 and my score prediction comes, comes through because I think the committee is going to see that game and say, Oklahoma State plays defense. Yeah. Like, they're for real. They've got a talented offensive group, but they play defense. And people don't see that because they look at the score from West Virginia and they just see, oh, okay, you know, they, they West Virginia scored what thirty nine, but the defense scored like, twenty five, and they yeah. and they really gave up seventeen. Yeah, and yeah, I, I mean, I think that Oklahoma State wins. I think it's a knockout, dragout game. I think that both teams struggle moving the ball early and then kind of find their rhythm late. Um, but let's talk a little uniform prediction. I know what I want to see this weekend. What do you want to see? You know, I mean, we've seen white, orange, white for every game, and I think I don't think they're going to do that again. Um, I love the 2011 black, orange, black combo, and I think I I want to see that again because that's one that's one that we haven't seen with the new uniforms. We've seen orange, black, orange. We have not seen black, orange, black, and I want to see the brand, the OSU. In the on the chrome like we saw at the beginning of last year on the black helmet. Yeah. That's a, and I think if they come out with that, I mean that's some swagger. And I think it'll look nice. Now the uniforms are great, but they still gotta win. But I still think there's some good juju that's in those uniforms when you play OU. So that's that's what I'm going with. Yeah, and so I want to go. I I think the brand has to happen. I yes. OSU OU has to have that on the helmets. It just didn't look right without it. And I think last year we went the... Like, it was the barbed wire. ...helmet look. And I that, that's my... You know, I I love all of our jerseys. And so when I say that that's my least favorite, it's like... I don't know. It's okay, like so, between like ice cream and cake. Like okay, no, yeah, spe- speaking with the barbed wire, do you like it? I, I yeah, do. I, I like everything that our jerseys are. I See, think they look great. And... It's like picking between ice cream and cake. Like, I love them both, but Valid. I like ice cream less than cake. And so, like, I like the barbed wire helmets the least out of our helmets, but I like them. Yes. I I think it's and, one of those, like, see it once or twice a year. I think we're good to go. I don't need to see it more than that. 
You know, it's one of those, like, in moderation, I think yeah, it looks man. really good. Now, I like it with the black face mask rather than the orange, but I think it looks good. Yeah. Okay, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but... See. I didn't mean to cut you off, but what's, what's your prediction? I want to see the brand. I want to see an orange helmet. Okay? So I want orange, black, orange. So a little mix-up of the black, orange, black. Orange with so, the brand? Orange with a black, orange. Brand. Oh, okay. I I was trying to I was trying to envision the orange on the orange. Okay, an orange with the, that would look clean. <laughs> yeah. So like orange with like a black OSU, right? Yeah. Who knows if they even have it? They would have. I know that they don't have this in like the the write ups and stuff. But they if they brought this out, it would be like okay. So I want orange with a black OSU. Yeah. Now are we talking like, like 2012 want, homecoming matte orange, or are we talking the orange chrome? I'm talking like the matte orange. Okay. And so I want an orange helmet, but I know, I mean, gosh, this is, it's just so not going to happen. But uh, what I really want is like a 1990s OSU logo in black on the orange helmet. Okay. Right? Like with the fat S. Yeah. Right there. And then. I want orange jerseys and black pants. I just think, uh, or no, black jersey, orange pants. Okay. I just, it's something we've never seen with this look. And I mean, I, orange helmets are my favorite. I like orange helmets. And I like white helmets. So I'm a big fan of the black helmet. I, I, the other one I thought of for the black helmet would be the badge with the chrome face mask. Yeah. I, that, that's my favorite helmet. Overall, I mean, besides the brand, obviously, but that that one is just nice. And yeah. either way, they're, I know they're going to come out with something nice. I know they're not going to do white-orange-white again. They've done that for all three games, uh, home games so far this year. But that, that's what I'm hoping for. Um, does OU go to their, like, disgusting-looking, like, Nike? No way. Yeah, like yeah, the... No way. They're wearing the classic. White-white with the... the Red helmet, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're wearing that for sure. But, so, basically, like, my uniform prediction is, like, something that I could, like, build on, like, EA Sports Team Builder that, like, is not going to actually exist. That's fair, yeah. So, what I really want to see is I want to see something I haven't seen. I want to see, but I want the brand in it. I want... I want a helmet that I've never seen before. I like like when they ran out with like the Pistol Pete helmet for for the Tulsa game. Yeah, I was like, that's the greatest helmet of all time. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of it when I first saw it. Like, because I just saw the Pistol Pete and I went, uh, uh-uh, uh no, that that's gonna look awful. And then I saw the stripe down the you know down the middle of it. And I went, okay, that's nice. Okay, I'm I'm a fan. We're good. <laughs> yeah. See, I love that. And it was something I've never seen. I want to see that. I want to see something I've never seen before. I want to be, like, in the stands, and then when I see, like, the kickers and punters run out there in the gear, I want to be like, oh, my gosh, or even a classic helmet switch. Like we saw against Tech last year. Yeah, they warm up in one and then come out in another one. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, that was a a good one last year because I was like, man, the orange chrome peed again? No, 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 no. And then they ran out and I went, that's different. And then we, and then they zoomed in on, and I about passed out in the stands. Like I was like, "What is this? I love it." Yeah, unbelievable. All right, we have any final thoughts before we uh, wrap up for tonight? Yeah, let's. Uh, who who do you got for the game day picker? 
Um, I've heard rumors that it's going to be Ricky again, but I, I want to see like Thurman Thomas or Barry Sanders or something like Did that. Did we win the Ricky game? What? We didn't win the Ricky no, game. No, we didn't. We won the Marcus Smart game. We won the Marcus Taylor. Smart game. So I, I want to see like Thurman Thomas or Barry Sanders or something like that. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. I mean, Barry does enough, you know, like car commercials and stuff. I'm sure he would do game day. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I want to see Garth so bad, but it's not going to happen. No, I was just they they you know, caught. From what I heard, game day contacted him, but he has two shows in Seattle this weekend, so there's no way he was going to be able to do it. Yeah, he's incredibly busy all the time, and it's yeah. just like, I mean. Hopefully, maybe my boy OK State Props could get up there. That'd be sweet. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been talking to him. He's pretty excited about that. But, um, uh, okay, so then my final question. Does Corso put on the cowboy head? Uh, no, I think Corso has been burned too many times. I think he puts. I think he fires those stupid guns from OU. See, I think he'll pick... Oklahoma State, just, he has an absolute love affair with Mason Rudolph. He loves him. And Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State. Like, every week, I don't think he's picked against Oklahoma State this year. And every time, like, he... He does love him some Oklahoma State, and he loves... He has a love affair with Pistol Pete, too. Yeah, like, he, he just loves shooting the shotgun. <laughs> like, when I went, I went to game day, Bedlam in 2015, my freshman year, and I was in the front row... And I saw that he they had the the Pete head behind him with the two pistol Pete's like crouching underneath the desk so they can put it on his head because it's forty pounds and he's an old man and he just grabbed the shotgun and just fired it and he fired it like and it's like in, it was like encased because the uh, because it was like thirty degrees and sleeting so they were inside essentially and he fired that gun and it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. But it's gonna be nice for game day. Like I'm, I'm going out there. My roommates and I are going out there, and you know our girlfriends. We're gonna go out there at, God, like two or two thirty in the morning. We're gonna get in line because we're getting front row again. So if you're watching, look for me. I'll have a sign, you know, on the front row. Uh, whether you know you're watching on TV or whatever. So feel free to to look for me there. I'm not gonna reveal what it is. I'm not gonna reveal the sign, but uh, just be be sure to look for me. I'll I'll tweet it out in the morning. Yeah, I'm excited for the game. It's going to be nice weather. It's going to be nice to have a game day experience where we're not cold. I don't think we've had one of those yet. Yeah, that so. was – yeah, game day my freshman year was a miserable experience because I, I went out there at 3 in the morning, and it was 30 degrees, and it was sleeting, and I was standing in mud for about, you know, solid five hours in the front row. You know, my feet were cold. I'd lost all feeling in my toes by about 6.30 in the morning, but I was just out there, and I'm like, I'm just going to suck this up. And then I think I went and slept for about five hours just trying to warm up after the game, after the words, and it was just, man, it was an experience I will never forget and never want to do again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a good weekend. I hope the best for the Pokes. Don't go to the concession stand in the second quarter before the first time out because your boy is going to be getting his Big 12 championship ring with the rest of the team and... You know, there's an announcement that you guys might not want to miss, and it's going to ah, be so. You're revealing it, but you're not. Yeah, there's there's no there's no reveal now. I'm just saying, don't go to the concession stand in the second quarter. Y'all should stick around. 
around and see what see what baseball's got for you guys. So all right, uh, all right, listeners. You know, I'll, I'll wave to all I'll wave to all you guys, and uh, you guys wave back at me. Yep. All right, Trey. Well, thanks for another good episode. Um, again, everyone, be sure to check out BuffettsCandies.com. Get some caramel corn. Get some chocolate for Thanksgiving here in a couple weeks. Um, and then be sure to check out Next Generation CrossFit if you're in the Tulsa area. And tell them that you heard it from us, and you will get a free workout and a free muscle milk. So be sure to uh, be sure to check both of those companies out. They they're they've been awesome with us, and uh, you know we were trying to help them out too. Um, yeah, and I mean we didn't. Uh, unfortunately, we had no uh, we had no ad read drops in the middle of nowhere in this podcast, and we apologize for that one. By the technical difficulties going with the road, I think. And yeah, then, it's a little. It was a little spotty there, there, but and then yeah, we we forgot, but we won't let them down again. Absolutely not. We we'll we'll have a better technology and a better conversation next week. But uh, thanks, Trey, for another great week, and uh, we'll talk again. We'll probably have this out on Tuesday or Wednesday for next week. This week was kind of crazy for both of us. All right, sounds good. All right, have a good one, everybody, and go, Pokes, beat OU.